Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First off, something I noticed the other day is that Potterless surpassed 3,000 reviews on Apple Podcasts, so I just wanted to take the time to thank every single person who has left a review for the show. Unless you left me a one-star review calling me a bad person, then no thank you to you. But for everyone who's left a review of the show or just told someone, anyone about the show, I really do appreciate it. That is such an amazing way to help support the show. And I'll get messages every now and then where people are like, oh, I wish I could support on Patreon, but I'm not in the financial situation where that's possible for me. Yo, that's totally fine. Honestly, just listening to the show is enough, but telling someone about it, whether it is in real life or just to the strangers of the internet by leaving a review or something you're talking about on social media helps so much. So thank you to each and every one of you who has reviewed or talked about Potterless in some way. Thanks so much. Second, Multitude got a studio, which is really cool. It means a couple new things. One, I can do a better job about sending all the Patreon stuff. And two, if you're trying to send something, the Multitude PO box will now be replaced by the office. So if you are on the Multitude site or the Potterless site under the contact and you want to send something, that address has changed. So it'll be updated on those websites. And speaking of Multitude, we've got Multitude live events coming up. I've talked about them in all of the intros, but if you want to get tickets before they sell out to all the different things, just head on over to multitude.production/live. Live. But speaking of amazing and wonderful people, we have new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to Valerie Vilches, Ronald Gilly, Stephanie Perrin, Lauren Smith, Jessica Arcoletta, Brianna, Nikki Vaughn, A through Z, Maite Van Noort, Melissa, Madison Lawson, and Danielle Salerno. Shout out to Adam Graham who upgraded their pledge, a name correction for Kalel Yafenhar, and a huge shout out to our newest producer level patrons, Gail Ann, Mr. Folk, Heather McMillan, Adam Bryant, Jesus Aguilar, and Christina Welton. They join the ranks of Leanne, Vicky, Aaron, Jesse, Natalie, Clow, Frank, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Kieran, Abid, Rosemary, Jill, Maria, Lisa, Romina, Kamel, Russell, Dustin, Audra, Eleanor, Sydney, Billy, Rossanne, Nikita, Taylor, Ali, Amelia, Sean, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Takari, Haley, Moster, Pinky, Angelina, Ross, Marie, Alex, Brian, Caitlin, Mosin, Grace, Raul, Ingen, Mari, Brianne, Alexandra, John, Jen, Noel, Tao, Emily, Robin, Will, Liz, Mariah, Brandon, Sarah, Claire, Teal, Rory, Gloria, Sarah, Patrick, Alicat, Hallie, Veronica, Kevin, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Carlos, Pam, Colleen, Jennifer, Friede, Ivor, Naomi, Tyler, Summer, Heather, Vera, Carrie, Andrea, Ella, Anthony, David. Elisa, Lynn, Cameron, Justin, Christine, Jacob, Toothless, Maya, Mark, Polly, Strugin, Brittany, Nita, Tumnus, Remney, Matt, Sarah, Nona, Zena, Emily, Colleen, Harlan, Wouter, Sheldarp, Noelia, Addy, Brian, Washin, Jenny, Nikki, Kara, Dorcas, Courtney, Kine, Amanda, Sabrina, Alicia, Kafir, Lindy, Marta, Benjamin, Tajinder, Skymart, Sarah, Peter, Yash, Marta, Stephanie, Justine, Aaron, CJ, Eileen, Kate, Violet, Hannah, Kat, Lindsay, Elizabeth, Fielding, Stephanie, Keegan, Miranda, and Cat I Potter? Who never do that thing where you put a beer bottle down too hard on a table and then it foams out of the top? If you want to be like one of these patrons and get access to exclusive live streams, exclusive merchandise, bonus episodes, director's commentary, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 77 of Potterless, covering chapter 26 of Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows, guest starring Matt Young of Hello from the Magic Tavern. Another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 26-year-old man reading the Harry Potter series for the very first time. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that 26-year-old man, and I am rejoined by 
a wonderful person, a great improviser, and a very powerful wizard on Hello from the Magic Tavern. I did the intro last time. I think it's only fitting that you do the big old Usador intro this time. Matt Young, take it away. I am Usador, wizard of the 12th realm of Ephesius, master of light and shadow, manipulator of magical delights, devourer of chaos, champion of the great halls of Tarakas. The elves know me as Fian Yalak. The dwarves know me as Zodin and Hook Stangjis. And I am known in the Northeast as Gasmuanius Maystar. And there may be, friends, other secret names so powerful that if uttered aloud, I surely a horcrux would be snapped in twain. Oh, man, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I'm very excited. Future episode of Pyros where you stay in character the whole time. Oh, no. <laughs> I do like that the bad guy that you have to try to defeat is the Dark Lord. It always makes me very happy. It's like, eh. Hey, we sort of went generic and like there were a lot of like influences on kind of those initial ideas of like we want a bad guy who seems like it's the bad guy from everything. Mm-hmm. So like he can't be named, but uh, some of that name stuff had come out of. I had recently just read the Name of the Wind. Oh, I've I have those books behind me as things to read the second I finish the Harry Potter books. Yeah, and there's like a lot of stuff about names and knowing the real like the name. The whole concept of the Name of the Wind is if you know the real name of the wind, you can control the wind. The wind's name is Patricia. It was. It's it's like (laughs) you got it. Magic is sort of practical in that world, which is a really cool, different take on it. That's why people have suggested it to me because I am an engineer, or I was an engineer, and I was like, I just want to know the rules. I want the law of thermodynamics, but for magic. And people are like, you should read Name of the Wind. Yeah. But then there's like a secret magic beyond that that uh, most people are like, that's bullshit. It's not a real thing. Oh, like cool. so the idea of like if you know the true name of a thing. So I I found that really appealing, and I was like, oh, that's such a cool idea. That's sort of why I have my secret names at the end of like. <laughs> but then the joke is like everybody knows all these names, so it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It's very fun. Well, we are back to discuss chapter 26 of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, which is just called Gringotts, which I think just the extra the extra step of it not being called Gringotts Bank or the Lestrange's Vault, just being Gringotts one word, when I was reading it, I was like, oh man, this is going to be hype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, I'm doing this episode a little bit different. Okay. I didn't read the the chapter, so I'm going to read along as we go. Oh, perfect. I love it. And I assume that everything's going to go great. Yeah, it's going to be so good. There's no way this goes wrong. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Editing Mike here. Just checking in to make sure that in case it wasn't painfully obvious, Matt's making a joke here. He did his homework and preparation for the podcast episode. Don't worry. It's, it's a great plan. Yeah. It's a super great plan. So chapter 26 begins with... With the narrator mentioning that Hermione has one strand of Bellatrix Lestrange's hair. So, first off, did I miss this? Did they mention this in the previous chapters that she was able to pluck a hair? Or was this the reveal? Because I do not remember them being like, oh, by the way, I stole Bellatrix's hair. There was something about it being stuck in a piece of clothing that she had somehow. Yeah. Taken from her. In the beginning, it just says a single long coarse black hair plucked from the sweater Hermione had been wearing at Malfoy Manor lay curled in a small glass file on the mantelpiece. I think it's an amazing assumption to assume that's Bellatrix's hair. (laughs) Oh my goodness. They do this whole plan and it's Fenrir Greyback's hair. Yeah, it's just absolutely (laughs) the wrong person. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, things can't go wrong in this plan, so it's got to be Bellatrix. Oh, this is all going to go great. 
<laughs> so the other key factor is that they do have Bellatrix's wand. So this is very good. So Hermione is going to do the Polyjuice and be Bellatrix. And I have, a, I have a bit of a question. Did they make Hermione do this because she's the best wizard out of the three of them? Or did they make Hermione do this because she's a girl? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Because other, you don't have to be the same gender. When they did the Seven Potters thing, Hermione turned into Harry. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. I think it makes sense if they pick Hermione because she's got her shit the most together and it ultimately works out. But I hope the reasoning wasn't just, well, you're a girl, so you should be Bellatrix. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I think it doesn't make sense for Ron to do it because no. Ron oh, will no. mess it up. Yeah. He will not be able to play act it well enough. He almost messes up his one line as Transylvanian dude. I, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, Ron, come on. But I guess Harry could have done it. I mean... Unless there's some reason for Harry not to do it. I don't, but I don't know what that is. The only thing I can think is that since Hermione got tortured by Bellatrix for a significant amount of time, the claim could be made that Hermione has a better sense of how Bellatrix acts because she might have seen her more and has more understanding of what she says. Harry does have experience with dealing with Bellatrix, but it's really only in the ministry scene. I think that could be the other reason, but I think the biggest one probably should just be that Hermione is the craftiest of wizards. Yeah. And Harry is the best at improvising on the spot and just figuring shit out. So it makes sense for him to be guy hiding under the cloak and just like trying to do shit. I don't think it's the gender thing. I hope it is. I mean, I think it worked out that way. Yeah. But I don't think that's really the reason. Because it, it, if you, when you break it down like that, she's the most logical choice. It definitely can't be Ron. No. Maybe it could be Harry, but it's probably better to have Harry as you're like under the cloak ready to like do something wild <laughs> if if it comes up, you know? Like, yeah, but it's not going to come up because this plan is going to go off without a hitch. Oh yeah, no no problems. Hermione mentions that she doesn't like using Bellatrix's wand and narrator Harry thinks of the times when Hermione was being harsh to him about not liking the Black Thorn wand and narrator Harry thinks about being shitty and being like, eh, but he bites his tongue and holds it back, thankfully. Hermione then brings up that she also doesn't like the wand because it was used to torture her and kill Sirius, which, woof. Yeah. And the narrator just then says, Harry had not thought of that, which, same. I did not realize that until Hermione says this, and uh, that's brutal. It's pretty bad. Super rough. Yeah. Hermione wishes that Ollivander would have given her a new wand, too, like Ollivander did for Luna, and it had just come back for Luna. Oh, 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 oh. We got to talk about this. The fact that Ollivander just like can make a wand for Luna in his spare time. I appreciate that he spent a lot of time with Luna and he has some affection for her and wanted to give her a new wand. Uh huh. Why doesn't he make new wands for Harry and Hermione? They're the ones actually doing shit. Because Luna was nice to him in the cellar. <sighs> All right. Also, like, does Ollivander just have spare tools to make wands? Like, how did he go through and do this? I suppose he just, like, walks out to a tree and is like, oh, this is, and takes, like, a horse's hair. And that's, <laughs> it's a horse hair core with a birch, <laughs> you know, it's a birch wand, horse hair. It's a blade of grass core <laughs> with a twig base. <laughs> it's a birchwood uh, wand with a Weasley hair core. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, everybody's super jealous, including Dean, because Luna's just, like, doing magic with this new wand, and everyone's pissed. (laughs) But Harry realizes that Hermione isn't so great with Bellatrix's wand because she didn't win over the wand's allegiance by taking it from Bellatrix, since technically Harry 
is the one that removed it from her after Dobby Expelliarmus did, or Harry did. Someone Expelliarmus did it. It, it was Ron, past Mike. It was Ron. Come on, it was one chapter ago. How do you forget that already? Gah. Anyway, here's more past Mike, and Harry got it. Right. So Hermione was not involved in that process. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Unlike the ministry plan, where Harry was very excited, Harry is very nervous and afraid that this plan will all go wrong. I wrote in my notes that I bet it will, but you've made me feel pretty confident that everything's going to be just fine. Harry's totally wrong. (laughs) So 6 a.m. hits, and Ron and Harry, who were sleeping on the floor of the living room or whatever, leave to meet Hermione and Griphook, who have already left. So wait a minute. So wait a minute. Before we get into the plan, before we get into the morning of, like, taking off, I need to back up a second. Uh Uh-huh. What is Dean doing? I don't know. Is he just hanging out? I guess. He's just chilling. Why doesn't he go back to school? Because uh, he is identified as someone that they're going to arrest or whatever because oh, uh, because he has an absentee father and they can't prove that he's pureblood. Oh, boy. That's... Dean, one of the few confirmed black kids, yeah. has an absentee father. Thanks, J.K. Rowling. Yikes. Uh... All right, well. Not great. Thanks thanks for filling me in. Hey, how's it going? Editing Mike here. People have let me know since recording that there is stuff on Pottermore about Dean's father giving a little backstory to him and that he isn't really an absentee father. He died fighting against the Death Eaters, something like that. That's fine. That's all well and good. I'm glad JK wrote this. But why wasn't this explained in the book? Why wasn't that just in there? I get that he might not really be an absentee father, but this isn't presented in the actual text. It's just in the little fan site. And uh, I don't think that's as effective or as good as actually putting it in the books. So I wish you would have just done it in the actual text so that the books wouldn't have a part of them that look like a really bad stereotype. That's all. Anyway, here's more of the podcast. He's just kicking it. Yeah, like get him involved in the plan. Like get someone else under the invisibility cloak. Uh, I don't know. Just like, why is, uh, yeah, just make Dean do something. Just do something. So 6 a.m. Yeah, 6 a.m. Harry and Ron leave. Harry sees Dobby's grave and is sad. He wonders again about how Dobby knew, thinking back to the Dumbledore mirror shard thing, which makes me think that we're getting close to knowing exactly what happened. But still, in classic J.K. Rowling fashion, we're not going to know for a little bit. Then they see Bellatrix up Hermione and Griphook, and Harry is shook. Hermione says that she tasted awful, which is something that we've talked on before, is that ugly people's polyjuice potion tastes bad, (laughs) which is a strange concept of polyjuice potion. Me, It's like, ah, Fleur is hot. Her stuff tastes so good. Well, there's something weird about like the magic world where things are intrinsic. People are intrinsically what they are. Yeah. And what they look like. If you're evil, you look ugly. Yeah. Which is which sort of goes (laughs) against some of the stuff we were saying in the last week's episode where we were like oh, these people are actually complex and like sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad, even though like ultimately they're good. Mm -hmm. There's like an innate goodness or something that can't be denied or an innate evil that can't be denied, which I think isn't one of the best aspects of the book. Right. But I also get when you're in a fantasy children's magic world, like Uh you need these kind of simple things to like give things specificity and clarity. You know, it's like Voldemort looked like a snake, had big red eyes. Oh, he's probably bad. He's probably bad. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Good. Thank you. I cool, mean, cool, it's, cool, cool, cool. you know, you're painting a picture for the audience and you're wanting to them to be like, okay, these are the things like, mm-hmm. I think about that too, for our show is like, you just try to like look at the other side of the table and do something that's like, oh, we talk about orcs being evil, but like the whole idea of like Lord of the Rings, orcs are just evil. Like, an entire race of 
things is just evil. Like, mm-hmm. that's absurd. <laughs> like, yeah, every single one is bad. Yeah, it's such a silly idea. Unfortunately, it's it's one of those tropes of fantasy that I think uh, people are still kind of stuck with. Yeah. So Hermione says she tasted awful, then says, quote, okay, Ron, come here so I can do you, which, whoa. Nice. Hermione. <laughs> Hermione then transforms Ron into just a random person, which makes me think of like a creative player mode in a video game where <laughs> it's just, like, I just imagine it enters this and she's doing the sliders to pick how big the nose is and how high the ears are. <laughs> this is a plug for a, a different show. Uh-huh. If you ever have a chance, watch Monster Factory. That the oh, Ma- Monster Factory is incredible. <laughs> yeah, Justin and Griffin McElroy from my brother and my brother and me. It makes me laugh so 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 hard. They are ridiculous, wonderful people. The concept of the show is that they take various games where you can create a player and they just do the most extreme sliders to make them the ugliest, most grotesque person possible and then they play the game with that person. the most insane things and then they give them insane backstories and it's 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 very well done it's delightful yeah today's episode brought to you by the mackerel <laughs> <laughs> uh so after hermione does this whole creative player experience harry says well he's not my type but he'll do which i know is just a joke but kind of confirms the theory that i've talked about before where i think harry might be bisexual oh. which i love because harry's always talking about how hot people like sirius is and how ugly snape and voldemort is and how hot young tom riddle was so this just kind of adds fodder to my fire <laughs> fodder for potter that's interesting ooh potter fodder i mean i don't i don't think that it's act like who's to say and it never really gets confirmed yeah it also very well could just be the thing where, like, I'm a straight man, but I can see that. Oh, right, Brad Pitt, that dude's hot. Right, <laughs> like sure, I don't sure. have to. I don't have to be actually attracted to men to be like that is a good looking dude. And definitely, uh, kind of like we were hinting at before in the last episode, Harry is a little more open minded because he comes from the Muggle world where we aren't terrible. Everyone from the Muggle world super open minded, right? Hmm. For sure. Hey, what? Huh? <laughs> right? What? Yeah, all muggles are, right? We're uh, like, human. humans are like the opposite of orcs, where they're all nice. They're all good. Everyone's good. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, uh, the squad then apparates to Diagon Alley, and they first get outside the Leaky Cauldron, where they see Tom the Toothless Walnut, which is my favorite description of a human ever. Very good. So fantastic. So, they describe him just saying that he is toothless, which makes me think that he literally has no teeth. <laughs> Not that he just looks like a toothless walnut and resembles like it. He is literally a person without teeth. Hey, hey Mike, I, I have a quick confession for your audience, uh, which I feel like I have to make at this point uh, if I'm going to be on a, a Harry Potter podcast. You also don't have teeth? <laughs> I didn't realize for years and years after reading these books that Diagon Alley and Nocturne Alley were a play on words. Oh, yeah. Diagonally and nocturnally. And I was a grown ass man. <laughs> it's OK. I have missed so many things. I didn't get. Diagon Alley at first. I got Nocturne Alley right away. Yeah. But then someone told me, they like pointed it out, whether on Twitter or something, they were like, isn't it so cool? Diagon Alley means diagonally. And I was like, that's just a word. Like, that's <laughs> not cool. Like, it's not, it doesn't make a fun word. Like, diagonally is just a direction. Like, cool. Yeah. Like, that's not a fun one. <laughs> Nocturnally makes more sense because, like, it's the creepy one and it's dark. So, night, nocturnally, that's fun. But diagonally, like, oh, the street is diagonal. 
cool. It definitely feels like she came up with Nocturnally first. Right. Even though it gets shown later yeah, in yeah, detail. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think like that was the play on words, and then she had to come up with something else for the other one, and that was... Yeah. And she couldn't, like, I can't even think of another one that ends in Alley that is cool, like, but unless it was super obvious, because, like, if you're just doing, like, rapidly, like, it would have to be, like, rapid Alley, <laughs> which doesn't work. Haphazard. Ooh, haphazard Alley. Yeah. I mean, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, yeah, and someone was like, isn't it so cool, diagonally? Like, I guess. <laughs> Sure. But Diagon sounds like a magical world. That is the cool thing about it is that diagonally is not as cool of a word, but Diagon Alley, like Diagon does sound cool on its own. Yeah. I think Nocturne Alley is the best one, though. Absolutely. Hermione says good morning to Tom, and he gets terrified still because it's Bellatrix. (laughs) And then Harry, under the invisibility cloak, is like, you're too nice. But here's the thing. If Bellatrix Lestrange walked in and just was like, good morning, in a cheery manner, that's way more terrifying than anything else you can do. Oh, yeah. But that's the most terrifying thing is when people that are super evil and powerful are just nonchalant and overly polite. That's scary as hell. Yeah, you're for sure about to die. (laughs) So then they actually go into Diagon Alley. And most of the shops are shut down and boarded up, like what happened to Ollivander's before. Mm -hmm. But here's something that's very interesting. There are new shops that have arisen, and they're all dedicated to dark magic. Now, there is the possibility that these are unofficial and Death Eaters just broke into a closed down shop and are breaking the law. But I also like to live in the world where the wizard landlords who own the the buildings on Diagon Alley are still like in the real estate game, even though this wizarding war is going on. And it's like, oh, man, well, the ice cream dude is gone and dead. But (laughs) this Death Eater wants to pay a really good rate to open this dark magic shop. I got to have my income. And like the real estate industry is still thriving. Also, some of these shops are kind of janky. There's like one where you just go in and it's like shirts and hats. It's like it's a black hat that says make magic great again. Oh, no. It's just like it's just like junk you can buy. It's that's not it's not anything real. They paint everything black and then they say it's a dark whatever. Yeah, right. No, no, no. Exactly. This is dark ice cream. <laughs> these are dark candies. This is an evil book. <laughs> these are the satanic ones. <laughs> The core is from a a, a bad horse. Uh, So there's a bunch of just wrecked wizards throughout. And one in particular who is bloodied and has a bandage on his head runs up to Bellatrix and is like, where's my family? Where's my family? Which this is... Uh, like I could picture this whole scene and it was rough. I'm excited to see how they do it in the movie, but... Uh, this just doesn't seem like a happy place. Yeah, I like how real this gets for a minute of like, there are people suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I'm happy that people are suffering. That came out totally right, wrong. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that it's like, oh, you know, people aren't just hiding in their houses and having meals and like kind of just hiding out. Mm-hmm. Like there are people who are like, have gotten in the way of this thing. And uh, that is an important thing to see. And actually, I think it probably gets glossed over a little more than it should still. Right. It would be really interesting to see, like, what are the effects that it's really having on kind of like the (laughs) work-a-day wizard? Question mark? (laughs) (laughs) So Ron then stuns this person to, to get them off of Bellatrix because Hermione has not yet perfected her Bellatrix impression. Then Bellatrix Hermione gets approached by Travers, 
who, if you recall, and of course Harry doesn't at first, he was one of the Death Eaters that came to Xenophilius' house when they were looking for Harry. Right. So he comes up and is like, Bellatrexy, interesting to see you here. And Hermione slowly gets better at her Bellatrix impression. And Harry keeps feeding her information. Griphook whispers to Harry under the cloak, he's another Death Eater. Then Harry whispers to Hermione, it's a Death Eater. So Hermione is cold to him. He comes up and asks, oh, fancy seeing you here. And she's like, what do you want? <laughs> and he's like, uh, uh, so, sorry, I was. I just thought that uh, everybody who was at Malfoy Manor wasn't allowed to leave. So then she has to take it a step back and tell him, well, you know, uh, maybe that, uh, that, maybe because the Dark Lord favors me more, he forgives me. And, and you're just jealous that you're not as close to him as I am. So she starts nailing the manner of speech that Bellatrix has. Which is totally fair. And she's absolutely right because Travers sucks. Yeah. This guy is like, oh, I just saw a random other uh, murderous person on the street. I'm just going to go hang out with them for a little while. <laughs> he's trying to, like, curry favor, right? Like, he's like mm-hmm. a low-level guy who's trying to, like, climb the ladder. And I'm like, man, get the hell out of here. She should have been even meaner and <laughs> yeah. tried to just get him to go away. 100%. But then they let him tag along anyway. Yeah, exactly. So Travers asks what she's doing here. She says that she's going to Gringotts, and then he's like, OMG, same. That and guy then... was not going to Gringotts. That is a, <laughs> he was going to buy a Make Magic Great Again hat. <laughs> he sucks. I hate him. Yeah, super bad. But he's like, just wants to find an excuse. Yeah. It could even be a thing where he's walking from the direction in which Gringotts is. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to Gringotts. Like, you just came from the north. It's like, oh, no, uh, I saw you from really far away. <laughs> oh, I was just at Gringotts, but I uh, forgot to deposit this. Uh, uh, galleon. Hmm. I didn't get the lollipops that they give out. <laughs> so he suggests, why don't we just go together? And they have to just say, sure. But before they go to Gringotts, he asks about her wand. He says, I thought that your wand got stolen. And Hermione's Bellatrix just says, well, the rumors that you're hearing are untrue. He asks about her friend, which is Ron, and Hermione says that his name is Dragomir Despard, which I wrote down for future Harry Potter trivia nights, <laughs> when question nine is what was Ron's fake name when he was the random Transylvanian person. Let's count to three and I'll say it together. One, two, three. Dragomir Despard. <laughs> so Hermione says that he is a Transylvanian who is sympathetic to the Dark Lord's cause and he came into town because of it. Travers shakes his hand, but only with two fingers, quote, as if he didn't want to get dirtied because Travers is racist. Yes, absolutely. It's been confirmed that this dude likes the Death Eaters and he's still hesitant towards shaking his hand. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, Ugh. and he's just from another country, you know? Right? It's like The whole parallel that I say in these books is that when I call the Death Eaters racist, it's more about blood purity and stuff. But this dude is like race racist, a real true racist. He's xenophobic. There's a point where it's like if you're that limited on who you can accept into your life, like literally like 99% of people aren't good enough, which is Uh, just stupid. Not not great. You are correct. Travers, not a great Death Eater. No. No, don't like him. <laughs> so then he asks what brings here the whole Gringotts thing, and then they start to go. Harry is scared because now he can't talk from under the cloak because Travers might hear. So they get to Gringotts, and they run into some wizards who have replaced the goblins at the entrance, and they have probes that detect magic. Uh, I guess that's a thing now? It, it is now. 
<laughs> so Harry uses Confundo on the guards just in time, right before they are going to do the probes on Hermione slash Bellatrix. And it ends up working and, and they get through. Though the guards are very confused afterwards because they go to check her again and they're like, "We, you just checked us, dude, come on. This is a part of this thing that does not make sense to me where they have probes that detect magic, mm -hmm. but anybody can just cast a spell on them. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is the point of that? Like that, that probe's never going to work on anyone who's trying to get in there. You know what I mean? Like, shouldn't the probe be better in that it would have detected the use of the invisibility cloak? Shouldn't the probe not need to be operated by a human? Yeah. There should be no human operator. It should just be standing there. It's like a, like a metal detector. You have to right? walk that through just it. Beep, 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 beep. Yes. Not great. Anyway, I'm mad about it and I'll get over it. <laughs> Gringotts security, not as good as Madison Square Garden, where you watch <laughs> basketball games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at, at MSG, you have to show your backpack and put it through an x-ray machine. I had a padlock for when I go to the gym. They made me check that so that I couldn't throw it on the court, I guess. Oh, wow. Which I guess makes sense. Yeah. I could have done it. It's good to know that American sports arenas have better security than the only wizard bank that we know of, like the bank. This supports my theory, though, that this is all going to go great without a hitch <laughs> because this the you know, the the lauded security of Gringotts is supposed to be so amazing. And these first two guys suck like there's nothing. It's anyone can get past this. It's all going to go great. Everything's going to be just fine. Yeah. Harry has a flashback to when he came here at age 11 with Hagrid. And it's funny how different this whole situation is. He's flabbergasted at the fact that he is now there to steal. He never thought it would come to this. So they get to some more goblins and they ask Hermione slash Bellatrix why she is here. She says to access her vault and they ask for ID. And Hermione's like, I've never been asked for identification before. And Griphook whispers to Harry that they must have been warned. And... The goblin then tells Hermione, well, your wand will do. And Harry realizes that the goblins have to know that the wand was stolen. So Griphook says, act now, the Imperious Curse. And Harry, for the first time ever, yeah. uses Imperio on the guards, which, whoa, whoa. First time using a forbidden curse, I think, too, right? He tried to use Crucio a couple times, but it never really worked because oh. he didn't really mean it. Right, right. So he has said Crucio before, but I don't think he's ever successfully done it. He tried to use it against Bellatrix and Snape, and it didn't really work. He uses it here, and it works. Yeah, and it's, Man. I mean, this is a strange point because it's like, what does that mean? Like, mm -hmm. these are supposed to be forbidden curses, but in this moment, trying to do this thing for the greater good, he is doing this thing that you should not do. And it is, it sort of reminds you that there is a, a war going on, you know, mm -hmm. and that there are some real stakes to it and that he's willing to cross this line that previously I don't think he would have. Mm -hmm. Also, why didn't Hermione just like, conjure up a, uh, a driver's license real quick. <laughs> Belichick Lestrange, Montana. <laughs> Here's my wizard passport. <laughs> I guess the one thing this does prove is that the sorting hat had its shit together and was correct about saying that Harry could have been in Slytherin oh, and yeah. done some evil stuff because he's able to do Imperio without a hitch the first time he ever tries to use it. Absolutely. And like, you know, uh, how do I say this? Oh, I don't want to spoil something for you. Uh-huh. 
There are good Slytherins. Yeah, so far we've got Regulus Black, yeah. uh, who was a Death Eater his whole life until like the couple hours before he died. And then Tonks' mom, who we just like haven't learned anything else about except that the Tonks family is nice. So she's good too. Those are the two. <laughs> and I am I know there's probably more that we just don't learn about or we might learn about later. And I guess Snape is good, quote unquote, but it's... Chapter 26, and he still sucks. I, well, here, since we're talking about war and crossing lines, Snape is also in that same boat. Like, Snape is an interesting character to me because... He's a double agent. He's a triple, quadruple agent. <laughs> and he's doing whatever it takes. Since you know he, he ends up being good, but you don't know how. Right. He's the one that's willing to cross any line. Right. It's, it's, he's, oh, man. I don't want to say too much more than that. Sure, 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 sure. I get, I get it. I think he's like the quintessential Slytherin where it's like you just do what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't worry about stuff in the way. Mm-hmm. So the Imperioed Goblin says, oh, a new wand, which confuses both Harry and Travers. So Harry then panics and Imperios Travers. Travers is like, oh, yeah, it's so great. So Harry's just like, fuck, uh, uh, <laughs> I just got to do this to everybody. So one guard says to the other, I shall need the clankers, which... I'm sorry, what? <laughs> My first thought, is this like a bag of jangling metal? And it turns out it's literally yeah. a bag of jangling metal. Yeah, that's it. Bring me the dragon's spray bottle. <laughs> Bring me the laser pointer. <laughs> so another goblin stops them from heading to the vault because he says they were given special instructions for the vault of the Lestranges. But then the goblin that Harry has imperioed is like, no, 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 don't worry. I uh, think His name is like Bograd, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, Bograd. So Bograd is like, no, no, I know the rules. Don't worry. I've got this. It's all cool. It's all don't worry. Mm-mm, all good. <laughs> and it actually ends up working. They go through a door, and when it closes on the other side and it's just them, Harry takes off the cloak and basically says, we're fucked. They know we're, they're totally onto us. But, you know, maybe things are still okay. Maybe. Prob- I mean, I think they will be. Pause for a second, though. If they have those probes outside, like I said, they probably shouldn't be controlled by humans. They should just be automatic. Why aren't they detecting these spells that Carrie is casting either? It feels like if you cast a spell like that in a place like that, like alarms should just immediately go off. Yeah. Because that's like the basic thing that anyone could do to get in there, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so there's there's a flaw in logic here, but I'm willing to let it go because it's like a magic book and sometimes you just have to like roll with it. Mm -hmm. But to me, I think the first part of this could have been a little more clever. Yes. And I don't usually say that because I usually think her stuff is very clever. I like the kind of twists and turns and like ways she thinks about like applying these things. And this feels a little rushed to me. Yeah, it feels rushed and it just feels too easy. Yeah, and I think maybe overcomplicating it at the beginning, like having Travers go in with them, Mm -hmm. forced her hand a little bit to make the solutions a little easier. Whereas like if you just drop the, and I know you're trying to like raise the stakes or whatever, but the stakes should already be pretty high. Yeah, you're breaking into Gringotts. Yeah, so like maybe just dump Travers and like let's actually deal with this. Let's do the like the Ocean's Eleven. Like, oh. how do they pull off this amazing scheme mm-hmm. uh, without immediately starting to throw other wrenches into it? Because mm-hmm. that would be really satisfying as a reader, I think. And I think the second part of it does that a little more, a little better. But I think this first part of like getting through the lobby kind of phones it in a bit. Definitely. Yeah. All right, pass, Mike. If you have so many complaints about the way J.K. Rowling wrote these books, why don't you write your own very successful series of children's novels? While you're pondering that, I'm going to take a little bit of time for Wingardium Adridosa. 
Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Tab for a Cause. Look, we can't all be Harry Potter. Our contribution to society can't be as significant as defeating the most evil being in the history of existence. Instead, we try to help out in the little ways. And one way that you can help out in an incredibly easy manner is by installing Tab for a Cause into your browser. If you go to tabforacause.org slash Potterless, you can install this into your browser and you can raise money for charity in the easiest way possible. Every time you open a tab, you raise money for charity. Think about how many tabs you open a day. It's probably a lot. If you're a garbage person like me, it's a ton. And now you've turned that garbage into money for charity. That's the best kind of recycling imaginable. So you go to tab4acause.org slash Potterless. That's T-A-B-F-O-R-A-C-A-U-S-E dot org slash Potterless. You install it. It just takes a couple of clicks. Every time you open a tab, you'll get a picture of a nice serene background. You can add widgets and stuff. You'll see a couple of ads, but those ads are what raise money for charity. Then every time you open a tab, you get a heart and you can take those hearts and decide what charities get the support. There's wonderful charities to choose from. They do timely pushes when there's certain events going on in the world. It's wonderful. And again, you can raise money for charity in the easiest way possible that I could ever think of by going to tab4acause.org slash Potterless today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. So Harry Musicaloy says they're fucked. <laughs> Ron and Hermione are very confused. So Harry tells them that he has used Imperio on Bograd and Travers. I was surprised that neither Hermione nor Ron was like, what the fuck? You're using an unforgivable curse? What the fuck, man? Like, they don't even blink. But I guess the stakes are too high to worry about it. Yeah, I think in the moment you're just like, we're glad we're not dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we still have stuff to do. Yeah. Harry flashes back to the thought of needing to mean it from Bellatrix. Mm-hmm. And Harry thinks to himself that he didn't do the Imperio spell hard enough to them. So time is of the essence. They got to go. So Griphook says that Bograd is needed because he has to control the mine car, but Travers won't fit. So Harry makes Travers just hide. <laughs> Which I love. He just like <laughs> scrunches down into a corner. It's a great description. Uh, so then they all take off in the cart. And Harry swears that he hears clamoring in the hallway on the other side, meaning that the people are onto them and and they're going to be chasing after them. Then we get a lovely JK quote, which doesn't surprise me. They were deeper than Harry ever penetrated Gringotts. So. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that one should have changed for sure. So the cart runs through a waterfall and Griphook says, no. Oh, wait a minute. A Hang time. on. Oh, yeah. What up? What if the penetration thing is a bet? Maybe she made a bet with someone <sighs> of how many times she could get the word penetrate into the book. There's something. There was some sort of joke with Stephen Fry as the narrator that he didn't like some word. And then they kept. Oh, really? I, I think it was something he had a hard time pronouncing as the audiobook narrator. Yeah. So she wrote the word more and more in there. <laughs> Uh, let me see. Hold on. Let me see what it is. That's very good. On his latest stand-up tour, Stephen Fry said that all he knew about the first book was that it sold well enough to get a sequel. And he said, quote, good for you, he told her, not realizing that Harry Potter would go on to be a worldwide phenomenon. Years later, he was doing his normal job when reading Prisoner of Azkaban. He came across the part where the titular character pockets something. Harry pocketed it was the exact phrase in the book. Turns out that this phrase was particularly hard for Fry to say, accidentally saying Harry pocketed it. 
he added an extra ed uh. when he was doing the audiobooks he kept saying that until he did it very slowly and then according to a <laughs> according to petty revenge stories tumblr which is <laughs> a real tumblr apparently they kept trying it over and over and over again. And eventually he had to call up JK and ask if he could say Harry put it in his pocket instead. She thought for a moment, said no, and hung up. And then the phrase Harry pocketed it appeared in each of the next four books. (laughs) Which some of the petty JK Rowling things she does are not great. That super fucking good. That's, I mean, but what he said wasn't really that much of an insult. Yeah, I guess he just didn't give her the proper praise. The fact that he didn't know anything about the book as an adult isn't like, uh, I, I don't know. That seems very strange to me to be like, to hold that grudge against that is like, a lot of people don't know about your book. Like, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. And he said, good for you. It's not like he was like, well, yeah. cool. You got a sequel, idiot. Like, he didn't he didn't say anything mean. He just didn't give her good enough praise. It's Stephen Fry, so I'm sure he probably said it in a snarky way, but still. That might be it. I'm sure in JK's mind, it came off as insincere. Right. Sure. And sure. that's why she did this. But baller move by JK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, maybe there was also a bet for her to say penetrated a lot. Could be. So the cart runs through a waterfall. Griphook screams no, which is not a good sign. They get thrown out of the cart and Ron and Hermione's disguises are gone. And my first thought was, does water undo Polyjuice Potion? But we very quickly learn that this water is more than just water. It is the thief's downfall, which is a sick pun. And it just undoes any sort of magic that is done within the vault. Yeah, it's very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, See, that's what should have been at the front door, though. That's the thing. Why don't you just make everybody walk through that? Yeah, right. This seems very foolproof. They're wizards. They'll find another way to dry off. They're fine. Yeah, they have a spell that dries them off instantly. They do this in the sixth book. You just make people walk through a tiny waterfall like this, like a metal detector, except it's running water, and then you walk through it, and that's it. It's foolproof. Why do you wait until you're in the mine car to have this unleashed? It's very strange. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. In addition to wiping away the polyjuice potion effects and the transfiguration that happened to Ron, it also undoes the Imperio, so Harry has to re-Imperio Bograd. Hermione then uses Protego against the oncoming water, and they approach the vault. However, there is a giant dragon in the way, which is apparently a rumor that had been sprinkled out earlier in the books. When I was reading this, I was with my girlfriend, Kelly, and <clears throat> that would be your fiance, Kelly, past Mike. I asked her, I was like, is this a thing they ever talked about? And she confirmed that there have been sprinkling rumors of the security of Gringotts being so robust that there's even dragons down there. So this is something Mm. that was hinted at, but is now a real thing. I feel sort of bad for this dragon. It feels like it doesn't have a great life. Are you kidding me? This is a giant beast that they have trained to be terrified of the sound of jangling metal and it has scars all over it and it's apparently mostly blind and it's huge and it doesn't even get to go outside ever yeah they don't even take it for walks yeah it should should get walksies yeah it's awful yeah like where does it poop where does it pee it just doesn't seem like a great situation it just poops in the middle of hogwarts like everyone else (laughs) oh no uh the worst the worst <laughs> just feels very cruel it's also chained up which isn't great yeah yeah it seems like there would be some way to like swap out dragons or <laughs> <laughs> have a dragon farm where they get to live upstate part of the year and they like do a sh- do a shift in the vault or something i don't know it seems like this can be better handled than the way they've done it absolutely 
Basically, the clankers are a Skinner response, which I have been told is the opposite of a Pavlovian response. And it basically a la Airbud with the newspaper when the alcoholic clown bangs the newspaper <laughs> together and Airbud gets really scared. It's pretty much that. Yeah. 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 So anytime it hears the clangling metal, it is fearing that it's going to get attacked with a sword of sorts. Ugh. Terrible. Griphook tells Harry to make Bogred put his hand on the door and it opens the vault, which is absolutely loaded with goods. Harry says to look around and he describes the cup to them. And I, at this point, am very mad about them glossing over what Luna said, because what if the Ravenclaw headdress is also in here? We later learn that the Hufflepuff cup is in here, which makes me think that the headdress is not also in here because it'd be very silly to put two horcruxes in the same place. Sure. So it's okay. But in the moment, I was furious. I was so upset. I I like this part because it starts to feel like it gets a little cleverer here where, Mm -hmm. yeah, what is, what are they looking for and what is it? And it's like, this is the thing they couldn't know, right? Mm -hmm. This is the thing that they were always going to have to improvise. Yes. So like having those questions is pretty exciting of like, what is here? What's not here? I mean, maybe there are two Horcruxes there because one person didn't realize it was a Horcrux and just put it in there, you know, like <laughs> seems unlikely, but who knows? Like they end up in some odd places. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm excited and I'm on board at this point. I'm sure it's uh, going to go off without a hitch. Could be totally fine. Yeah. The door then reappears and the vault becomes completely dark. So they use Lumos and while they're looking for stuff, Hermione screams in pain and a goblet she was holding falls onto the ground, and when it does, it multiplies into a bunch of identical copies of itself. And this is really cool. This is so awesome. This is sweet. I cannot wait to see how they do this in the movie. This is hype. If this worked the way it was intended to work, eventually a goblin comes down there, and there's a vault full of fake things, and like three crushed, (laughs) just like smashed human bodies. Yeah. And they're like, well, make all those fake ones disappear and drag these corpses out of here. Uh, Because they either got crushed or suffocated. It's that's, that's an insane diabolical plan. And I love it. Yeah. So grip hook says that they have used Jamino and flagrante curses, which I do not believe have been used in the books before, but maybe Essentially, everything you touch will burn, and then when you drop it, it will multiply, and all of the copies are worthless. And all the copies multiply too, right? Yes. Like it all multiplies. It's, it's, it's just like, everything that gets touched. It's an absolute nightmare. I love it. It's absurd and amazing. So they stand still, but everything has a charm on it, and they finally see the correct goblet, which is way up on a shelf above all the stuff. Harry asks for help from Griphook. He says, if you want the sword, but then realizes that he can touch stuff with the sword. So he asks Hermione for the sword. While Harry is trying to figure out how to get it down, he hears the dragon roar and clanking getting louder, meaning that the other goblins are getting closer and they have their other set of clankers because, you know, you got two bags just in case. (laughs) Yeah, you got to have an extra set of clankers. Everyone knows that. Hermione then, with some quick thinking, does Levicorpus on Harry, and he starts to rise up. Unfortunately, he keeps knocking into things along the way, which fucks shit up even further. And this, the amount of things is rising and rising, and they're getting crushed under them. And it's not just normal 
metal objects. These are burning hot metal objects. Really hot. Yeah, it's so good. And I know this is an audio medium, but I still have a scar on my forearm from one time when I was cooking sausage in an Ikea pot, which was not a good pot. And I accidentally touched my forearm to the side of the pot and it gave me a little burn mark, which has been slowly going away over the course of two years, but it's still kind of there. My smoke alarm was going off and I was trying to grab it and then like stick it out the window (laughs) so that the smoke wouldn't go. And in my frantic panic, I (laughs) I touched my forearm to it. So I can't even imagine the amount of scarring that is going to happen to the squad given how many piping hot metal objects they touch. I guess they probably do some sort of healing term to undo it, but it seems like they're going to be heavily scarred after this endeavor. And it certainly seems unpleasant in the moment. Oh gosh, yeah. What a terrible way. And like, you're trying to like focus and like commit a crime while you're burning and like basically like getting trapped in Scrooge McDuck's like big bank (laughs) vault. And you're not even trying to swim through a bunch of rising water. You're trying to swim through raising metal. Yeah. And then also piping hot metal. Oh, it just seems, it seems impossibly difficult. Yeah. It's a great scene. It's really clever. Oh, it's super good. I really am excited. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do it in the movie. So Harry gets the cup on the sword. And he drops down, but then he loses it and they can't find it. There are so many hot metal objects. It's not looking great. But then Griphook sees it and lunges for it. And at this point, Harry realizes that Griphook didn't think that they were actually going to give him the sword. So he was going to try to steal it from them at some point. I mean, he's right. He's not wrong. (laughs) Griphook grabs the sword and then holds it up and the cup falls from it. Harry dives and catches it and it replicates its form, but he holds on tight to the one that he has, even though it is burning him while he does so. The vault then opens and it just rushes out with a sea of hot metal objects, which I guess just takes out all the people that were gonna go in. (laughs) That's gotta be a rude awakening to be like, ah, finally, we've made it. Here they are, open the vault. Ah, it's a sea of flaming hot metal. (laughs) But also they know they cast those charms in there. They should know that's gonna happen, right? You would think, you would hope. But it's enough to at least distract them. Yeah, because the squad gets out and Griphook has the sword and just yells thieves, thieves. And the squad just then starts stupefying all of them. So it wasn't enough to completely knock them out. So I guess they did get out of the way knowing that this might happen. So they all just start stupefying like crazy. And then Harry sees the dragon and he gets a harebrained idea, or if you're believing that this is going off without a hitch, he planned this the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) They run over to the dragon. They get on top of the dragon, which was great. As I was reading this, once Harry saw the dragon, I was screaming at my book, get on the dragon! Yeah. Get on it! (laughs) This escape is is great. uh, I mean, obviously the plan went all to pot. They wanted to just walk (laughs) in and walk out. But the fact that there's a dragon trap down there that ends up being their, you know, their saviors is really it's a it's a beautiful like description and a beautiful like it's like a fun it's that's the thing I wanted in the first part of it too. Like that that mm-hmm. fun Ocean's Eleven, like it's it's oh, yeah. we're pulling off this cool thing and it's like and of course it's not gonna go all right, but like here we're just making it up and we get out of here and hopefully it's all okay. It's the coolest and most dramatic way to leave the vault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the exact opposite of what they would have wanted. Which, honestly, makes it better. Yes, totally. (laughs) So, 
<laughs> so they get on the dragon and he does relatio to all of the cuffs and tells the squad to hop on. The dragon at first doesn't realize that it's become untethered, but Harry then rolls for animal handling and gets a nat 20 because <laughs> uh, <laughs> the squad gets on. And then the dragon realizes that it has people on it, so it spreads its wings, quote, knocking the shrieking goblins aside like Skittles. And I'm assuming that Skittles is a British word and it is not just talking about candy. Do you know what a Skittle is? I don't, and it's lowercase here, which leads me to agree that that it's something that I don't know. Okay, well, we do have a segment here on the show where we turn to our UK correspondent, Dottie James, for my British quandaries. So, Dottie, please tell us what Skittles mean. And now it is time for British quandaries with UK correspondent, Dottie James. Skittles is a game. It's basically like children's bowling um not exclusive to children but yeah it's like it's like bowling without the alleys this has been british quandaries with uk correspondent dotty james wow a skittle who knew i can't believe they named a candy after that that's ridiculous i knew i just didn't want to tell you i wanted to give dotty her due yeah you just wanted to find another excuse to have dotty in the show always good when we get a, a segment from dotty in there So the dragon uses fire and claws just to break the hell out. It flies through and then it can sense that it's getting close to the edge of the cave that I'm assuming Gringotts is on top of. It's just (laughs) trying to break. It's it's not a graceful exit by any means. No, 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 no. (laughs) And drawing a lot of attention to them. Oh, yeah. It is not covert in any way, shape or form. Hermione then joins in and helps by using Defodio, which I also don't think has been used before in the books. But whatever it does, it's able to carve away at the rock that the dragon is trying to claw and fire its way out of. Harry and Ron then join in on this, and they finally break through into the marble hallway, which I want to see the reactions of everyone, because it says that people are just going about their normal bank duty. Imagine you're just trying to deposit the check that you got from your great grandma because she's 160 and still uses checks and it's for $25 for Christmas or something. It's not the biggest sum of money, but it's enough where you want to do it. And you're just in line like, well, you know, I'm here or whatever. And then a dragon breaks into the hallway of the bank. I'm so excited because today is the day I'm finally going to pay off my wizard mortgage. (laughs) My wizard hovel will finally be my own. I will own it outright. Holy crap, a dragon. (laughs) It's just, I hope, I really hope that the movie does a comedic approach to this. The classic action slash comedy movie trope where it's just showing the the bank and it's like do 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 <laughs> and just very normal it's like i'd like to make a deposit please and then psh, ah! <laughs> just fire erupts that's the way to play it for sure yeah i really hope that's what they do and i'll be so sad if they don't and knowing how much these movies screw shit up i'm not expecting them to actually do it that way yeah but an amazing scene for me to picture in my brain They break into the marble hallway. The dragon busts through the gates and it gets out into Diagon Alley. The dragon is finally able to stretch its wings and then it takes off into the sky. And that is the end of chapter 26. And that is the end of this episode of Potterless. Matt, how do you feel about this plan going off without a hitch and just perfectly going according to plan? 
I think that they planned all of these things to go wrong. Right. So I think it still went off without a hitch, mm-hmm. technically. Yeah, they knew that waterfall was going to come. They didn't want to look like Bellatrix on the way out. That would have been distracting. The only person who said, oh, no, was Griphook. Yeah. The rest of the squad, they knew. They knew. It was all a ruse to throw Griphook off their scent. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, But here's something we have to talk about. Yeah. They don't have the sword. They don't. Which it's tricky. Yeah. It's a whole new wrinkle is now they have to find a way to destroy the Horcruxes. Yeah, they got they got nothing right now. Yeah. Which stinks. The biggest problem with this is that in their mind, there was only one way to destroy the Horcruxes, and it was this sword. They don't necessarily have an idea of what else can destroy Horcruxes, which makes me think that they're gonna have to talk to someone. They're gonna need to tell someone, unless they can come up with the idea on their own, which I don't know that they can. They got to talk to somebody about, we have a new Horcrux. How do we break this thing? And I don't know if that means they figure out how to talk to Dumbledore, if that's even in play, or if they go to someone else for advice. But you're right. They did one good thing by getting the Horcrux, but their means of destruction, which is the whole thing they have to do to the Horcruxes, is gone. Yeah, it's one step forward and one step back for sure. Mm -hmm. And as I remember reading this for the first time being like, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. They just got the damn thing. Yep. At this point, how many Horcruxes are still out there? Okay, so if we are going by Dumbledore's guess that Voldemort split his soul into seven parts. Right. That means there are six total Horcruxes. So far, the ring and the locket have been destroyed, as has the diary in book two. So three have been destroyed. They think that there are three more. They believe that this Hufflepuff cup is one of them. So they at least have the fourth. And then there's two more. Dumbledore believes that Nagini might be one. And then he also thinks that something else from Hogwarts history from one of the founders is the other one. So my guess is that the Hufflepuff Cup is one of the three. Nagini is one of the three. And then the Ravenclaw Hedris is the last one. Yeah. So they have one of the final three, but now no means to destroy it. Also, the Gryffindor sword itself, I guess, could be a Horcrux, but I don't think so. You think you know two, and there's one that's unclear to you at this point. Right, which my guess is the Ravenclaw Hedris. Right, right, the right. Di- the lost diadem of Rowena Ravenclaw. Yeah. Uh, so that's where we're at right now. But yeah, they lost the thing that breaks them, which is important. Yeah, so now they got to kind of go back to square one. It's, uh-huh. a, it's a tricky, frustrating part of the book, honestly, because I remember I love this book a lot. It's I think good. it's one of my favorites. And I often, when I pontificate about improv and art in general, I talk a lot about the end of things. Mm-hmm. I like the things that have ends and have satisfying conclusions. Yeah. And I think this book is really a satisfying conclusion to a series of books, Good. which is often uncommon. Yeah. So I, I just, it's, it's something I think about. And I, I love that. Like the journey is so different than the other books of like, mm-hmm. we're just not going to school. Right. We're not, we're not even doing that. Just none yeah. of the things that you expect are just, they're all thrown out the window. And then you get to this point point, you're like, okay, this is a little more back to like, they have to do some things mm-hmm. and they know how to do them. And now they've got to this point where it's like, you're like, okay, they got the thing and they got the thing to destroy the thing, but they lose that thing. And now I think the upcoming chapters are really fun because they have to like, they don't have to just deal with how do we destroy these things? They have to deal with 
each other a little more to get it back to character stuff is like Mm -hmm. part of it becomes like the three of them, you know, you'll see it play out, but it's, you're up for a really fun, the book is really ramping up now and it's really fun. Definitely. So I'm, I'm super excited. I would very much enjoy a comedic chapter of them just trying a bunch of different ways to break (laughs) the Hufflepuff cup and just not being able to do it. I think that'd be a very fun bit in the alternate universe where the Harry Potter books are a pure comedy. (laughs) But yeah, man, it's, it's definitely, as you said, it's one step forward, one step back. They got the Horcrux. Cool. They don't have a way to destroy it. They do have a dragon now, which I think is a big upgrade to their uh, inventory list. They, they have a dragon friend, so maybe they can, oh, (gasps) uh, if, uh, I know this isn't going to happen. All right. Let me, I want to hear the theory though. But Charlie Weasley is my favorite Weasley. Him and Ginny are like 1A, 1B. Okay. Go to Charlie Weasley with this dragon. Hi, Charlie. We have a dragon. Can you train this dragon to be our sidekick? Because how good would it be to have a dragon that they can use? Like not just have, but use against Death Eaters, Voldemort, Horcruxes. I'm sure this dragon, if used in particular ways, could break a cup. I think it can do it with fire and claws. Like it just broke out of Gringotts. I think it can break a cup. It's an interesting theory. It's also how the uh, How to Train Your Dragons uh, franchise got started. Ah, ha ha. You knew that was a spinoff of Harry Potter, right? Ah, it's all in the same universe. (laughs) (laughs) But that would be a great way to get Charlie Weasley involved because we have not learned enough about him in the books. That is a crime. But the other thing is that uh, what are they going to do with this dragon? (laughs) <laughs> like what happens next <laughs> isn't that always the question though well, yeah, I guess it's just it's not like they got the sword and then they thought okay what are we going to do now they got a dragon <laughs> oh yeah yeah so another question I want to ask you Mike how are you feeling as you're approaching the end of this series like I think like I love Potterless I think it's a really fun show oh, I'm glad I'm curious about like how you're, how, I mean, like, I remember reading these books and loving this last book and kind of devouring it. I was actually on a work trip and reading it, like, in my hotel in the evenings and at the airport. I have very distinct memories of certain things. So I'm wondering, like, as you're approaching the end, like, what are your feelings about that? I am very excited. Good. Because I think the point that you made, I can tell that this is wrapping things up really nicely. Yeah. And I think it will make for a satisfying ending. And I love that this book is so different. I love that we are still, by by most of the books, by, you know, we're at chapter 27 now. And mm-hmm. there's 30, I think there's like 36 chapters. So we're getting to the final third of the book. Usually for the other books in the series, you kind of have a sense of what is going to happen and what needs to be done. We know what is supposed to be done. But we have no sense of how it's going to be done. I also don't know what kind of shenanigans Voldemort is going to get up to. So it is very exciting. I think it's going to be a very good ending. I've read so much of this book and I still have no clue about what's going to happen. That that makes me really excited is that I'm confident in this ending being really good. I think it's going to be very fun. And it's just 
What I really enjoy is that these chapters have become very dense, especially by the end of this book. It's just they're becoming longer. More stuff is happening. These episodes of Potterless, like in the beginning of book seven, it was like every episode was like two chapters. Now it's like pretty much every episode is a chapter, which is the good way to know that every chapter has got more stuff going on in it and is more dense. So I think it's just good. I'm excited. I just like I'm very I'm very excited to see it all come through, and especially because I'm different from when most people read it in that they had to wait in between the books and it took them however long, like 10 years or whatever, to to read the entire series. And I haven't had to go through the same thing since I have just been like going. But I still have been reading these books since March of 2016 is when I started reading them. So at the time of recording, it's been three years for me, right. which is still like a significant amount of time. It's, it's like not as long as other people have gone through, but by nature of the podcast being biweekly for so long and me not wanting to get too far ahead and, and all of that, I feel invested in it. It feels like such a long time coming. Yeah. And I'm also really excited for the next step of Potterless. So I've talked about this, but I should actually say it in an episode because then <laughs> first some people know, but also people will stop asking me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, editing we here again. How's it going? We're, we're being such good friends today. I have talked about this in the past. When I recorded this, it was before I did the Q&A thing for episode 67. But even though I put it in there, a lot of people still ask what I'm going to do after the books. And a lot of people still tweet, oh, I don't want the podcast to end. I don't know if people just skipped that half of the episode. But if you could please listen to this part, I, the, the show is going to go on for years after I finish the books. Don't worry. And here I'm about to explain what the plan is. So don't worry. It's going to be great. I have so many things planned. Paros is going to last a really long time. I'm excited about it. And I hope you are too. Just please listen to this next part. I'm going to do all the books. And then I'm going to do all the movies. Awesome. And then I'm going to do all of the official spinoff books that J.K. Rowling did. So like the Hogwarts Library stuff, like the Fantastic Beasts textbook thing, the Quidditch textbook thing, the Beetle the Bard book. Tales of Beetle the Bard, yeah. Yeah. So I'll do those. And then I'll do the official J.K. Rowling things that she worked on. So I'll see Chris Child and then read the screenplay and do episodes about that. I'll watch the Fantastic Beast movies and do episodes on those. Anything else she does, like anything official. And then at that point afterwards, I'll do anything that was not official that got really popular. So like a very Harry Potter musical, Harry Potter puppet pals, sure. all of that kind of stuff. And then I'm just going to do anything that's got a Harry Potter logo slapped on it. So the Harry Potter PlayStation 2 Quidditch video game <laughs> and the Harry Potter Quidditch board game that exists and like Harry Potter, any anything that is legitimate enough where I could make a, a, a real episode about it and has Harry Potter on it, I will do. And I also want to do things. I'm going to do this once a month, probably after I do the movies. I'm going to set up like a voicemail for... Potterless, and then I'll have people call in and leave voicemails either with fan theories or stuff that I missed. Like some people have pointed out, there's there's some inconsistencies and and the ones that even I miss. Like in the seventh book, Hermione does the whole memory thing to her parents. Yeah, and then when Harry tells her to just like wipe out the memory of the Death Eaters that they've knocked out in the late night cafe, she's like, I've never done a memory charm before. It's like, well, yeah, you have oh. to your parents, and this is something I didn't pick up on, but listeners did afterwards. So I'll set up a voicemail, and then people will call in with either fan theories or things that I miss or things that are funny, whatever. And then I'll do those like once a month and it'll be a cool way to get people involved. So I've been like sitting on this idea of 
the next steps of Potterless. And I'm really excited to get to that. I'm also really excited to read books for leisure again because I haven't done that in three years. <laughs> I haven't read a single book that isn't Harry Potter for three years. And when I read these books, like, sure, they're fun, but it's also work. Yeah. Because I'm constantly, like, taking notes the whole time and analyzing and thinking about what I'm going to say and thinking about things to touch on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not relaxing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not just, like, kicking my feet up and be like, let me read the next chapter. So I'm just excited to pick up a book and just read it. Oh, it's going to be so good. <laughs> so I think in addition, what this all comes down to is the ending of this book, I'm really excited for. I think the ending of this series is really good. And I'm really excited for the next direction, like phase two of Potterless, the podcast. Yeah. And I can see it coming. And not that I want the books to end, but it's exciting to see how it does end. And I'm just, I'm so stoked, man. It's going to be good. Well, I, I, like I said, I think it's a very satisfying conclusion. I think, partly because it pays so many things off. Yeah. Usually in the way I don't expect it to, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a really fun journey to take. And it's going to be a fun journey to see where Potterless goes next too. I'm I'm excited about it. I am too. And one thing that gives me hope that the ending of the seventh book is good and wraps up everything and tying things up nicely, like you're saying, is that everybody hates Cursed Child, or at least a lot of people do. And I know that it takes place afterwards and tries to put a bow on things and tie up some other things. And the the general vibe that I have gotten, I don't know what the plot is, but the general vibe that I've gotten is that it was just highly unnecessary, Yeah, which makes me feel confident that people have wrapped it up. It's not like the book's going to be some weird cliffhanger ending where things didn't get all settled and tied up and, and every loose straw kind of put back in place. So the fact that people don't like Cursed Child gives me extra hope. I, I haven't read The Cursed Child, but it's a play script, you know? Yes. Not written by J.K. Rowling, which I have been incorrect in my initial episode with Eric Silver where I said that she wrote it. She did not write it. Apparently she wrote the plot and then someone else did it. But also just like reading a play script is never as good as seeing a play ever. Exactly. Exactly. And I have heard a lot of people complain about it who read it. And I'm like... Probably if you're not an actor and you haven't done much theater, you don't really know how to read a play and kind yeah. of envision it. Mm-hmm. And I've been led to understand that the actual production is pretty exciting. And uh, I, I would like to go see it sometime. So yeah, if I'm in New York oh. and you finish the book, I'll give you a call. Come through. Yeah, we can make a whole Broadway trip out of it. That'd be super cool. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like it'd be like listening to a music composition on laptop speakers right like "Eh, this song's not that great was like that's not that's not the way in which it is designed to be consumed exactly you're supposed to listen with nice headphones or nice speakers or see it live or something that is the point of music composition same thing with a play you're supposed to see the play obviously they made this so they can make money but (laughs) that's not the point of it and and from what i've heard of people who have seen the play and read it they've said oh yeah reading it sucks but the play is dope so I'm confident that it'll at least be entertaining. Right. And I think if you just kind of like ignore the plot and just, or ignore whatever, because I think it has like time travel involved, which might screw up some stuff. I don't know. I'm just going to try to go into it with low expectations and just like go into it like you're seeing a stupid action movie. Right. Being like, I just want to see real life humans do magic and I want to see what special effects they're able to do on the live stage to make it happen. I think it'll be very interesting. A hundred percent. Yeah. Let's table this for now and let's get started writing on that uh, Ted Lupin book. Right. We'll, we'll make 
the Ted Lupin thing and it'll be a great podcast. It'll get to episode two and we'll get a cease and desist. But those two episodes will be really good. But Matt, really thank good. you so much for joining. Uh, do you want to you want to tell the, the people where they can find you or Hello from the Magic Tavern or everything else, anything else you're working on? Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at More People Happy. You can find my character Usador's Twitter at Usador the Blue. And you can listen to me on many podcasts, including Improvised Star Trek, The Probe, season two coming soon, and Hello from the Magic Tavern, which you can find anywhere uh, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all those great services. I can't recommend it enough. I've been binging it ever since I met you at PodCon, and it is very enjoyable, especially as... thanks, man. I mean, it's just so good, especially... It's funny that it's now a big hybridization of my two worlds because I've been doing improv for the past, like, seven or eight years, and now I've been doing a bunch of wizard stuff for the past three years. (laughs) So to to be able to listen to an improvised wizard podcast, I'm like, this is my brand now. (laughs) Uh, If you ever get to a point where you guys start playing basketball, then I'm going to be like, okay, now this is scary. (laughs) Like, this has become my person. But yeah, I can't recommend Hello from the Magic Diver enough. It is very fun. It's very silly. It's super good. Very bingeable. It's a good time indeed. But thank you again so much for joining, Matt. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, before they hop on a dragon and fly off into the sky, (gasps) wizard on! If you really want some Potterless merchandise, you are in luck because we have a merch store. We don't talk about it all the time, but it's there. If you go to bit.ly slash merch on, you can get posters, pins, stickers, shirts, all sorts of fun stuff, all at bit.ly slash merch on. Potterless is created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert, as well as Leanne Davis, Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Jesse Horgan, Natalie Klobuchar, Klaus Serlopu, Frank Chiodo, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfelio, Kieran Webb, Abita Med, Rosemary Dodge, Jill Boulay, Maria Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadonier, Camille Doc, Russell Dunk, Dustin Roland Cooch, Audra Eleanor Curlin, Sydney Cawthorn, Billy Hinton, Rossanne Batamana, Nikita Power, Taylor Armstead, Ali Madsen, Amelia Krauss, Sean Montag, Sarah Nink, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orchid Girl, Vivian Owl, Takari Ront, Haley Hastings, Moster, Pinky Pan, Angelina Withard, Ross Marie Heise, Alex Bisholta, Brian Williams, Caitlin Sullivan, Mosin Siddiqui, Grace Riggles, Raul Pineda, Ingan Odstadter, Mari Wynn, Brianne Wingate, Alexandra Consulver, John Kotker, Jenna Juice, Noel Basilei, Tao, Emily Tyrell, Robin Fernandez, Will Barrington, Liz Bigelow, Mariah Noah, Brandon Pickens, Sarah Enslin, Claire Spencer, Teal, Rory Collier, Gloria Gillum, Sarah and Patrick Donovan, Alicat29, Hallie Bowen, Veronica Bartova, Kevin Harnoy, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Carlos Nino, Pam Webb, Colleen, Jennifer Mark, Lou Fried, AJ Svensson, Ivor Peterson, Naomi Guglielmo, Tyler Latra, Summer Rathal, Heather Fleischman, Vera Cullithan, Carrie D. Baggison, Andrea Crock, Elisa Grieven, Lynn Walker, Cameron Watkins, Justin Montero, Christine Saunders, Jacob Parrish, Toothless Walnut, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Srujan Thanmegupta, Brittany Gutierrez, Nita Atabani, Tumnus Moran, Remy Fontaine, Mats Furley, Sarah Shecker, Nona VM, Zena Rosnowski, Emily Tilly, Colleen Mage, Harlan Haskins, Wouter Vandermaiden, Sheldarp, Noelia, Addy, Brian, Washington Large, Jenny Campione, Nikki Harris, Kara Hamilton, Dorcas, Courtney Hemwood, Kine Roan, Amanda Alfred, Sabrina, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Lindy Placky, Martha Madueno, Benjamin Desmond, Tajinder Chumber, Skymart Six, Sarah Shedder, Peter Vostanek, Yash Patel, Marta Morrison, Stephanie Mag- Magnuson, Justine Wade, Erin Richter, CJ Ochoco, Eileen Jesh, Kate L. Dobbs, Violet Sullivan, Hannah Suzanne Gormley, Kat Yowell, Lindsay Towning, Elizabeth Agathon, Fielding Lee, Stephanie Hofford, Keegan Curran, Miranda Manning, and Can't I Potter? Web designed by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Bettina Campomanes. If you want to find us on social media, you can go to facebook.com slash potterless, twitter.com slash potterless pod, instagram.com slash potterless podcast, or reddit.com slash r slash potterless. For any and all information about the show, head on over to potterlesspodcast.com, and for that sweet, sweet bonus content, go to patreon.com slash potterless. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on.